Welcome back to Minor 16 with me, David Lewis, the podcast where we talk everything Apple and bring you some stellar guests as well. And why break a winning formula is what I say. This week on Minor 16, we have got one of the editors from Mac Rumors with us. We have got Hartley Charlton. He's joining us straight on the back of WWDC. We've got lots to get through, so let's waste no time and introduce Hartley to the podcast. So it's a very warm welcome to Hartley Charlton. Hartley, welcome to Minor 16. Thank you for finding a time to talk with us. Hello. Well, thank you for having me. So obviously, as many of uh, my listeners will also have heard you, first of all, is via the Mac Rumors podcast. We'll be talking about that in a little while's time. But of course, there's plenty to the man behind and before Mac. You're an avid, well, first of all, you were a graduate from Nottingham University, weren't you? A BA ONS, first ONS degree in history, was it? Yes, that's right. That's right. So is history something you grew up really enjoying? Was that something you always wanted to do at university? Well, I, I sort of, I, I fell into, into history as it were. At school, I was always sort of interested in, uh, technology and science and maths, but it, it never sort of really worked out that way. I found I was, I was quite good at history and sort of stuck with it. And then that just sort of became my, uh, my way. And of course, um, history involves a huge amount of, of writing and research and that directly sort of, led into the, the skills um, that helped me at Mac Rumours. And your dissertation was a rather interesting subject as well, the British fascist ideology. Uh, that sounds like a lot of yes. work. <laughs> That's not a copy and paste yes, situation, it was, is it? it was. It's also <laughs> a, a little bit of a, a sort of controversial topic. But um, no, I, I, I really enjoyed sort of finding finding a niche um, area that just had not been studied. It's, mm. it's not a particularly popular thing, as you, as you can imagine. Um, and it meant, you know, looking through a lot of documents firsthand, things that had not been looked at for 70 years, um, and having to, to get all of that done and go to different places across the country to look at firsthand, um, documents and, and, um, it was it was uh, very uh, very challenging, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's hard to say I enjoyed it. I wouldn't have said that at the time, but I, I suppose I did. I understand dissertations to be stressful. My daughter did one about uh, 12, 18 months ago, so I kind of lived vicariously through it, and they are a pretty stressful period, aren't they? Your sounds a little bit tougher, though, I must say. That's a tough ask, <laughs> that title. And before leaving university, obviously filmmaking too turned out to be something of a, a hobby or an interest of yours, because you ended up being vice president of the society at uni, didn't you, for the filmmaking society? Yes. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed filmmaking. Again, it was something that I, I, uh, sort of fell into when I was, I was much younger, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for sort of a good story. And, uh, I've been, I've been spoiled by lots of good film and TV growing up. And, uh, I sort of felt like I wanted to, to have a go. And it's such a, a, a great sort of collaborative thing because it's a very social experience, mm -hmm. but also, uh, if you're like me and you enjoy your technology, you get a bit of your, you get a reason to use your powerful new, new Mac. You get a reason <laughs> to, um, get involved with a bit of, um, you know, audio editing, wh whatever it may be you and you, and, and those sort of skills are, are really useful and, and uh, quite transferable to all sorts of other areas. I don't do much of it now, but uh, the skills are still there. And you mentioned TV. So one other thing that made me just smile a bit when I was reading about you was your love of the classic era of Doctor Who. The classic era yes. being, now, of course, I come from, well, I say, of course, I come from a generation of John Pertwee. That was my Doctor Who as I was growing up. And for some reason, it never never really lit my fire. I don't know why, but Doctor Who just never really got me going. I possibly found it scary, actually. And I've never been, a, I've never understood sci-fi that much, but clearly Doctor Who was your big thing. And what era are we looking at oh. then? If you were on Mastermind well. and we're saying, Hartley Charlton, your first round will be on. 
Well, it would it would have to be sort of the the Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant era. But talking to me about Doctor Who is sort of a, it's a dangerous topic because if I start, <laughs> I, I, I won't stop because it was sort of um, something I I I sort of grew up with. So I have a, a tremendous um, sort of warmth and nostalgia from from uh, from that era of, of Doctor Who. But um, it's only in sort of recent years, since uh, if I if I can say so, if, if uh, you know people on the internet won't uh, won't destroy me for it, I don't think it's been very good for a very long time. So it leads me to sort of go back and look at the the, the classic series. So I watched all the all the Pertwee era right back uh, right back from the first episode. I'm at Tom Baker at the moment, uh, so I, I'm really enjoying making my way through it. That's your rabbit warren, then, is it? After a night, day's work, it's into a little bit of Doctor Who to unwind. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice. Just like it's lighthearted. Um, yeah, what more can you want? And before we come on to your your work at Mac Room as another work, I know writing's a big part of your life as well, and you've written for publications such as the Typecase, a Daily Mirror. I've noticed, and of course, you're now an editor at Mac Room as, as well. So all of this comes together, and your love of languages. I know German's a big passion of yours. So I mean, obviously, art arts is a big thing of your life in its fullest description, isn't it? With languages, with the written word, filmmaking. I mean, that's pretty much the arts there mm. in a snapshot, isn't it? Well, I, I think that I, I've always been quite creative, but I find that writing is sort of the best platform for me. You know, I've turned my hand to to drawing and it's it's not for me. I quite like video editing. That was always something I I, I was a, a video editor for a, for a nightclub for a time as well. Um, and I, I always That's interesting. enjoyed that. What, would, what use would a nightclub have for a video editor? Well, just sort of for, for, for promotion, for um, uh, sort of events, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I enjoyed doing that sort of thing because it's, it's quite creative, but it's always been writing for me, creative writing, or even the sort of the articles at Mag Rumors, which I'm sure we'll come on to, um, I find it intensely creative to take something that can be ostensibly a boring story about um, chip fabrication or something that just could not be more mind-numbing and try and find an angle for it and um, make it something that is compelling um, is what makes it engaging. It's funny, you know, you should mention that, that um, I just wrote a blog this morning and it was about the, the idea, the transition into content creating. And I'd come into it thinking YouTube would be the shining star. But in actual fact, writing and posting on Medium every day, I really enjoy that. I've just suddenly found mm. that I enjoy writing. And as you say, I think it's that you, once you start, the whole thought process just comes to you, doesn't it? And I don't know how you write, probably more creatively than me, I would imagine, with your background, but you just begin to connect the dots and the story begins to flesh up in front of you. I find it really cathartic. Mm, I would. That's exactly how I would describe it, sort of connecting the dots. Some people like to write in a more sort of... Um, uh, sequential way and and write from A to B as it were. But I definitely like to join the dots. I whenever I write anything, I just sort of throw all of my ideas um, into the text editor and then piece it together very slowly. You know, I'm sure that uh, the other the other writers at Mac Rumors must preview my articles and just think <laughs> what what a, what a mess that is because I I pasted all sorts of stuff in and I'm I'm reorganizing it. But that's exactly what it is. It's sort of connecting the dots. Um, and I think that I'm also quite a perfectionist and it's hard to achieve sort of creative perfection in other formats. You can mm. be very, very critical. Um, you know, with video editing, you, you, I, I always used to think uh, the colour was never quite right. It was always something that I just never quite had the skill for. And you need a really good eye for that. Or graphic design or all these sorts of things, they require a very high level of skill. 
Um, and not so much that writing doesn't require a high level of skill, um, but it, I think you can achieve that perfection a little bit more easily when you feel you've got the flow or the, the right use of language. Well, yeah, because the edit process of writing, of course, is very insular, isn't it? You're not putting it out in front of anybody. And if you decide you want to make that edit in the text before sending on, it's there. I've never read so much in my life, reading back my own posts before p actually putting them up because you just, every time yes. you'll find something, oh, that's not quite right. I spend so much time rereading it. I never look at it again once it's online because I've read it so much mm. at that point. But um, so let's just try and just join up then from when you left uni to Mac Rumors. How did that all work out for you? Well, it was all sort of a slightly by accident. So Mac Rumors was advertising for sort of part-time uh, contributing writers to sort of bolster the weekend coverage, because although Mac Rumors has a lot of writers across different time zones um, to really try and address coverage at different times, obviously everyone likes their, their weekend and it's hard to, to really be pushing the articles out at the weekends as well. So I joined to fill in at the weekends effectively. And that just sort of transitioned very slowly to becoming a, a sort of a, a full-time arrangement. Um, and of course, doing it at the weekends, I was learning how to find stories and where to find them. I was developing my um, RSS feeds. I was developing my Twitter lists. I was um, you know, beginning to build some relationships with some sources. And it sort of, it just sort of led into doing it full-time, I suppose, um, and I haven't really looked back since. So how much do they steer you then? If we just talk, I'm sure the listeners would be, and I certainly would be very interested to understand how the mechanics of you writing for Mac Rumors works then. Do they give you a brief on we're looking for these stories, or is it now at this point of your career, you find the stories and present it to them? Well, we, we have sort of a quite a, a laid back culture where we effectively just sort of pitch, um, stories to each other. And it's, we, we generally have quite a good sense of when something needs to be covered or not. Um, and so we'll usually just sort of say, you know, I'm going to do this or what do you think about doing this? And we just sort of have an open discussion about it. Um, but generally it's, uh, it's sort of, um, very, very free. You can write what you like. You can, um, you can, sort of angle things in a way that that you see fit. But we do have a, a very good editor-in-chief that sort of steers the 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 overall voice and the overall direction, because there's definitely been some times when I've been pushing to do some stories that are a little bit more speculative, say. It can just be that you've got a hunch about something um, and it needs to be sort of, you need to hedge your bets a little more. Or um, other times there, of course, can be things that can seemingly be a little, bit, a little bit more dull, but you have to do them. You know, for example, those uh, recent accessibility features that were announced. Um, that's something that immediately I've, I read the first headline of that and I thought, oh, I don't know if that's going to be too interesting. But of course, when you actually do it, it is really interesting mm. with uh, Apple Watch mirroring and door detection. So there's definitely a, a wide spectrum there. And with the big highlight events of the year, I mean, WWDC, clearly we're going to go into in, in a moment and roll through the weeds with that. But if we look at, say, the iPhone releases, those are probably the two biggest of the events for Apple for the year. Is that an incredibly hectic time for you guys? And do you collaborate at that point? Are you kind of all online together watching the event? Because obviously you're over in the UK. Many of your colleagues, I assume, are the States or various other parts of the world. So how does that work? Do you all collaborate to get the stories out as quickly as possible on big events? Yes, it is. It is very, uh, I wouldn't say hectic. It's only hectic because of how fast paced the digital events are now. Um, but we, we all are online. We all pitch in and we just sort of, as, as things are coming out, we just say, yes, I'll take this. I'll take this. Can someone, you know, oh, look see. after that? 
Um, and we're, we're doing it in real time, but mm. it is, it is very, uh, high pressure, high stress, um, dur- during the Apple events. And that's, it is really just a consequence of not being able to get a breather. You know, if it was a, a live on stage event, the, the time for applause or the time when the speaker, uh, is going to do a demo, it just gives you that little bit Breathing, more time. But yeah. It, it's, it is very, very hard to keep on top of everything. And so that's why usually we are getting the bare bones of something out, like with iOS 16, which I was doing the post for, um, on Monday. You know, I, I, I publish, um, the article with the headlines, but then I'm updating it in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have someone that is taking screenshots from the events. So we've got images to use. We've got someone live blogging. So we're sort of addressing all fronts. Really, um, but it, it's it's good it's good fun, but it is tiring. You know, you you you, you finish the day and you're glad it's over. I mean, when I put this, and of course, even then, that's when the work the work really starts. Of because, course, yeah. Um, you know, especially after a hardware event, having to write about comparisons, or you really have to dig through all the all the detail, mm. and then that's when uh, you have to be looking through Twitter. You have to be thinking about things like with hardware products, thinking, well, what are the battery capacities? How much memory has it got? What haven't they announced? And that's when you start to look for all of those sorts of things. So, for Apple reporters, the the hard work really only starts when the event ends. Well, and when I put this date to you, being just two days after WWDC, I thought, I don't stand a chance. You're going to be absolutely <laughs> hammered. There's no way you're going to find time for it. So I'm really made up with speaking to you that quickly after WWDC. So we'll get on to talking about that now, but just before we get going, so everybody knows, what is your daily Mac then? Let's let's get a bit nerdy. What do you use for writing most of the time? I use um, an M1 Mac Mini, which has served me very well since it since it came out. Although I will say that I think it's been struggling a little bit more in, in recent months. I don't know if that's as a result of um, software updates or or whether I'm pushing it harder. But I think next time I I will be going for something a little bit more powerful. Um, it's it's not quite enough. I, I I have the model that is upgraded to 16 gigabytes of memory, mm-hmm. and I think that with lots of memory hungry WordPress tabs and uh, you know plenty of other, you wouldn't think that that writing blog posts effectively would be a particularly intensive workflow. You'd think it's video editors, graphic designers. You would be surprised when you have enough tabs and you've got, um, you know, you've got Slack and you've got mail and you've got Twitter and um, TweetDeck and all of it together is is quite memory hungry. And I remember um, when I joined Mac Rumors and I was using an Intel Mac, I had to be very selective about <laughs> what I had open. <laughs> well, I've just joined the Apple Silicon Party about the last month. I finally got myself an Apple Silicon Mac and the, the difference is just day and night, isn't it? It really is. The, the, the quietness, the speed, the efficiency, just what it can handle. Without, you don't realise how much you've got going on. As you've just said, if I look now, I've got Adobe Audition running, I've got Zoom running, I've got a document open with all my notes, I've got your website open. And in the background, I think I also got WordPress open for my site. So it's kind of, you just don't think about it though. So they are mighty, mighty machines. So coming on to this week's WWDC, WWDC, the overview of it, good event, bland event, kind of what you thought, where, where are you standing on it? Well, normally I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an Apple pessimist, you could say. I get, I get criticized in, in the comments for my sort of pessimistic takes. And that's only really a result of just being immersed in this stuff all day, every day. When you're looking at the detail all day, every day, you inevitably, um, it's a lot easier to see the, the flaws. But, uh, this WWDC has been quite refreshing because I think it was the, the best Apple event for years. 
I think that Apple has genuinely listened to to users and has implemented n- not only address uh, uh, features to implement um, the, the the features that were suggested by users, but just the quantity of it, just just the the the, the amount of stuff and and the way it was it was all just being thrown out. You can now edit messages and you can share photos over iCloud and focus mode improves and notifications are improved and the lock screen is redesigned and here's this new in car experience as well. And it was it was just so much um, that it's it's hard really to for, for me to complain. And if you were sort of drilling down, say to the top two, maybe three highlights for you because it was an abnormal. Normally long WWDC as well, wasn't it? I mean, it doesn't normally go on for that. Was nigh on two hours on Monday, wasn't it? Yes, I think it's it's uh, it's certainly in terms of the the density of how much was being discussed for how long. Mm. There was a lot more in it, even even at that duration. And in terms of sort of the the, the top highlights, it, it really you know I, I I wondered if you'd ask me that question, um, and it's sort of it's the worst event to ask ask uh, ask me that because there's just so much that I I, I can really only uh, be excited about. I mean, in terms of basic things that I am really pleased about, um, improvements to focus modes. That's not going to get many people excited, but it excites me because it's it's something that was very unfinished when it was announced with iOS 15. And I like using them, mm-hmm. but they've actually made them useful now um, mm-hmm. just through features like focus filters that enable you to select certain uh, calendars or email accounts based on what your focus is. And the, the biggest one, and it's such a simple thing, is the ability to exclude contacts rather than include them from focuses. Because of course, Previously, if you had, say, uh, your personal focus, you would have to include all of your non-work contacts. Right, so if you have yeah. a long list of contacts, you'd have to tap it 200 times. But now, of course, it just makes more, far more sense to just exclude your, your work contacts. So one would be focus modes. Mm-hmm. Um, and off the top of my head, the other would be iCloud family photo sharing. Because I know that it's it's always been a pain for me having to say to other family members, oh, can you airdrop me these photos from when we were here and now we've both got duplicates and I'm going to edit these. You've not got the edited versions. Um, it, it's sort of, it takes away a lot of friction, um, for that. And that's again, something very useful, but it's so, it's so hard. It's so hard to sort of, um, to really, to really drill down into it. I mean, sleep tracking. I, I, I've become I've a really big fan of tracking that, my yeah. sleep with the Apple Watch. So I've got some notes. And- I'm going to try and work through with you. If we start off with the announcement of M2, and right. obviously we know it's been put into the MacBook Air and also into a MacBook Pro 13-inch. Um, what are you expecting from the M2? And the other thing that surprised me was that they announced it without any clue other than early July of when it's going to be made available. Now, I'm aware that's obviously to do with the China lockdowns, the ongoing chip and display shortages. But hitherto, they've normally made an announcement with a, pre- a pre-sale date at least available, whereas now it's just fairly open-ended, isn't it? I even did an online discussion with an Apple uh, online tech after the event, and they just said, July, that's all we know. Hmm. So is that what you're hearing? Well, Have you is- got any more details at Mac Rumors or...? No, we we haven't heard anything else about the exact uh, the exact uh, dates for that just yet, and this is really just a result of shortages. It really you you can see that these crept in. You can see the impact is now the strongest on Apple than it has been throughout the entire entirety of the last two years. We saw it with the Apple Watch Series Seven. We're seeing it particularly at the moment with the fourteen and sixteen inch MacBook Pro. Very very long lead times. For I that. can speak personally to that. Yeah, I placed the, the, the MacBook that I bought was a 16 inch. I had an order with Apple 
uh, placed at the end of March. They originally gave me a date end of July, then pushed that back to sometime late July. Uh, and luckily, I found it at one UK reseller, slightly better spec than I wanted. But yeah, the, the lead times on these machines at the moment, for something that was released last November, and there's still yes. these incredibly long lead times, is, is just, as you say, test me as to how bad things truly are. And it really has caught up with Apple as we're coming out of the pandemic. Yes, it, precisely. And it's it's something that Apple is looking to address. So they're moving a lot of their factories now to not only different locations within China, but also they're looking to Vietnam, they're looking to India, um, and they're, they're looking to di even diversify the number of suppliers that mm. they have for these individual components. They're telling suppliers to make more than Apple even needs just to stockpile it so that they're, they're, they're very much prepared. And I think that in the next year, we'll see these supply chain issues improve, not least because Apple is being uh, very clever about how it organizes its supply chain. I mean, Tim Cook, let's not forget, he was the, the supply chain mastermind before he became CEO. So this is really something that he is very good at. And relative to other companies, I mean, look at automakers. Mm -hmm. If you try and buy a new car now, you've got a, a six-month wait um, at least. And with... with uh, vehicles like BMW, they don't have uh, the correct chips to be able to even have Apple CarPlay at the moment, or plenty of features. They won't have touch screens, but Apple is doing relatively well. It's such a massive client for these suppliers that mm. Apple is being prioritized. So it could always it could always be worse. And what are you when you finally get your hands on the M2, what are you hoping to experience from it? Because I know you, as we just learned, you're using an M1 Mac Mini currently. What would you tempt you say to be thinking, okay, the M2 MacBook Air might be for me now as a daily worker? Well, I don't think that um, it really will be the M2 chip. And the reason for that is because I, I, I suppose... I should I should start um, I should start at the beginning is a good place to start really with the M2. Your storyteller. I you wasn't ex yes. Well, I wouldn't expect I, I didn't expect Apple to do this with the M2. The the rumors were very confused about what chip the MacBook Air would have and exactly what was going on with Apple Silicon at this time because the M2 is basically uh, a slightly more powerful version of the A15 chip. The M1 is based on the A14 and the M2 is based on the A15. But for a long time, we were expecting the M2 to be a much, much bigger jump. We were expecting it to be um, manufactured with a much more advanced fabrication process called 3 nanometer. Mm -hmm. But instead, it is being fabricated with 5, five nanometer, yeah. which is the exact same process. So it's really only the cores that are improved, and you get minor efficiency and performance improvements. Even the charts Apple showed were, were not mind-blowing. So really what Apple have done in branding this chip, which is effectively like an M1S and M1X, is provide uh, a really nice marketing point to be able to say, here's a good reason to buy the new MacBook Air, it's got M2. But really... It's it's M1 X and M3 is what will be the the bigger jump. Now this is something I was going to come on to a little bit later on, but actually it seems a nice transition now. The Mac Pro, as we know, is the only machine still to transition to Apple Silicon. So I was just going to ask you two questions: A, when do you think? As clearly we didn't get any mention of it at all at this week's WWDC. When is your best guess we might see it? And also, how are they going to attack modularity with the way that Apple Silicon's gone? I think that it's highly likely we'll see the Mac Pro before the end of the year. 
Apple directly mentioned it on stage, not at WWDC, right. but at the previous event. So for them to actually do that, and they, they sort of had to because they had to explain that the Mac Studio was not a Mac Pro replacement. But it's, it's pretty clear if they're talking about it that the Mac Pro is coming. And also, when they set out the time frame for transitioning to Apple Silicon in June 2020, they said that would take two years. Well, if that time frame starts from when the first M1 Macs were released in November 2020, that would be November right. 2022. So by then, we would hope to see the Mac Pro. But the thing with the Mac Pro is because it's a low volume product in terms of how they produce it. It's it, previously the the sort of so called trash can Mac Pro mm -hmm. was almost entirely built in one factory in Texas. So it's a lot easier for them to keep a low volume product under wraps compared to something like the MacBook Air. And when it comes to modularity, um, we don't really know very much about how they will do it. But my hunch um, is that this is the only thing that makes the Mac Pro different from the Mac Studio. The Mac Studio has um, almost all the performance um, even serious, serious professionals could ask for. So it isn't so much the performance that Mac Pro has its niche. It will be... Um, modularity. Now, of course, you're not going to be able to throw uh, a graphics card in over PCIe in quite the same way. But definitely when it comes to swapping things like SSDs, adding new internal hard drives, and even you know old traditional spinning disks um, should be facilitated in some way. And to be able to add um, over PCIe uh, different I.O. to be able to support far more external displays, that's where I think we will we will see the Mac Pro go, which is why we've heard rumors that it will be like a miniaturized version of the tower. It definitely does mm. need all that space for the same MPX modules. Of course, yeah. Um, I even wonder whether Apple Silicon itself will be modular within the Mac Pro. I wonder if that would be a really good selling point to be able to say, well, you can actually slide in and out an M-series chip. And if you want the M1 Ultra or you want an M1 Ultra Duo or next year you want the M2 Ultra, but you slide that in and that's your modularity. So for companies that are you know, investing in these tools, they can just keep the chassis and they can keep the whatever they've got connected to it. Um, but then they can just upgrade the chip every year. So there's a lot of directions they can go in. And do you think it'd be based on this potential of an M3? That, because they, clearly the, the M2 won't be developed enough by that point of to have gone through iterations of pro max and ultra and clearly with the the niche of that machine it's got to be powerful from day one what do you think the mac pro would be based on i think that the mac pro is going to feature um an m1 ultra duo effectively um whether it will be called that i don't know i mean they could call it a, you know the, 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 the z1 or yeah you know wh whatever it may be but effectively that's what it will be because um all of the m series chips are just slightly beefed up version of their of their uh, of the, the the one that's below down in the tiers. So the M1 Pro uh, just adds cores and um, media engines. The M1 Max uh, again adds more cores um, and more specialization. But the M1 um, Ultra is just two M1 Max chips glued together. That's mm. why it has double the performance. It's a very, very simple technique Apple has taken. The M1 Ultra isn't really a chip in its own right. They may as well have called it the M1 Max Ultra. But the M1, the M1 uh, Ultra uh, definitely has, uh, in terms of its hardware, a sort of bridge that you could connect to um, another M1 Ultra and effectively had four M1X. 
M1 Max, Max chips. Yeah, that's very confusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Well, with uh, with uh, Max Max, it's very it's, it gets very confusing with the with the nomenclature. So, moving away from hardware, let's begin getting into some of the well, the, probably the biggest uh, software release that everyone was most interested in: iOS 16. Pretty well rumoured in the end, although rumours have been kept very quiet until close event. I think if you read the right feeds and right Twitter pages, you've got a fairly good steer of where they were going. And it was pretty comprehensive, wasn't it? Obviously, with lock screen that you briefly mentioned and the, the widgets on the home screen being the, the show stealer, I assume, and the focus modes, as you say. Uh, were there any other highlights of iOS 16 that you were either surprised about or glad they did get included? Well, I, I think I was pretty much glad about everything they, they 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 announced there definitely were still the the showstoppers in there though a bit like how universal control stole the show um at wwdc last year this year the ability to just hold down on any photo or video and it almost seamlessly and instantaneously cuts out that image and you can just drag it anywhere it's it's really unlike anything else we've we've ever seen before that sort of technology. So even that sort of thing, you wouldn't know that you wanted it, or even I don't even know really when I'll use it. But it's a very nice thing to have, um, and is an incredibly impressive feature. So uh, across the board, the, again, as I say, this is what makes it so hard in many respects to talk about iOS 16 because there's just so much that is so um, good, and there's such meaningful changes. Um, the ability to edit messages or delete messages, Fancy, I know. mark them as unread. Unread, unsends. Yeah, that really yes, got my attention. It's, it's a it's a game changer. As is the uh, the improvements to um, things on the back end, the ability to to actually search mail effectively because it was so buggy and don't uh, talk about mail. I wrote about that useless. last week. Mac mail. I've always used the original native client, but it's really been getting to me of recent. Yes. Really, there and on the it's, phone in it's particular, it's not very been good. old technology that's built on. Mm. And so now that's overhauled. And even the home app, which again is, is well, has been very unreliable. You constantly get no response. You get no response on some device, but not others, even if your network is really strong. Mm. Apple had virtually admitted that and said that they uh, have re-engineered the whole back end for the home app. And the front end as well. So you've got this much, much better um, design that is considerably easier to use. So that there's there's a huge amount to, to be pleased about, really. I, I would be surprised if many people are disappointed with this release. Something I, I wrote about early in the week, and I'd be really interested to hear your opinion as a journalist on it. Do you think we're almost reaching a zenith of what OS, be it iOS, any of the OS can be before we are slowly beginning to think of a transition to AR, VR, insofar as the scopes there seem virtually limitless, whereas we're still confined by hardware that can run the software with what we're getting to now with OS. It almost seems that we're getting to that point where we're at very, very top tier now. Can you see a, it's not going to be quick, I'm thinking you know, it could be a 10-year transition before people, I've never worn a headset or, or a pair of glasses. So, they've got people like me to win over. But do you see that as possibly being where we are going to be heading to in the next decade, 15 years? I think that for iOS, iOS is reaching uh, reaching the, not the end of its sort of, of its of its long-term development, but it is it is such a refined system now. You you do begin to question what more can they do mm. other than continue to iterate on the stock apps, continue to just iterate on UI and making things more reliable. 
it, it's so sort of fe- feature rich. Um, mm. And I'm sure Apple, they're going to keep pushing out these updates every year, but it is, it is definitely getting there. I wouldn't say that was the case for watchOS or iPadOS, and to some extent, even macOS. There's a huge amount more work that needs to be done with those. And of course, when we look at AR and VR, we know that they're working on reality OS. We even know it's called reality OS at this point. So that is something that Apple has um, at this point, hundreds of developers working on. So it will be interesting to see to what extent that can hand off from the other operating systems. But I expect that with the level of integration that Apple tries to achieve, it won't be a million miles away from the operating systems that we, we already use. For, for what it's worth, I, I actually don't think that um, AR and VR will replace, at least in headset form, um, any of our, our other devices. I know that that's the long-term vision for it, but just personally, I'm, I'm very sceptical about that direction. So you're very nicely doing my job for me, and you segued almost seamlessly into Mac OS. I think the biggest relief for me is that it wasn't called Mammoth, because that name just yes. had me choking over my coffee. Um, luckily, <laughs> it's called Ventura. Not sure if that's that much better, but nonetheless, it's a big step up for Mammoth. I think continuity camera was one of the most interesting things, certainly something I'm very keen to try. But a part of my brain was just thinking, is this a very cheap cop-out of Apple saying, mm, actually, our cameras... Uh, I mean, I've got the studio display. I'm on Zoom with you now. There's not a chance I would have used that because I look mm, very, very orange and very, very plasticky. And it just, even with the firmware update that came through, I think about 10 days, two weeks ago, it's it's better, but still not good. So it kind of made me smile thinking, yeah, it's fantastic technology. And certainly that almost top-down view we're going to get from the ultra-wide angle lens onto one's desk. Stunning technology. But it is almost surely a little nod saying, we haven't got our cameras just right yet. So just use your iPhone. I think it was a, a really nice admission from Apple there. They've definitely been listening a lot more in, mm. in the last sort of year and a half. You think about what they what they did with the the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros. That was just a concession on all fronts. And this this was another one. The fact that even in the uh, the the sequence he's using a 13 inch MacBook Pro um, because that camera is obviously a 720p camera. Although I suppose if I was if I had made that feature, the argument I would use is that the MacBook cameras have got to be extremely slim, and that that narrows the uh, the, the ceiling on what they're actually able to achieve. Mm-hmm. Whereas an iPhone camera is always going to be better, going to be much better. So if they can give you the opportunity to use that, um, that that's obviously it's, it's it's always going to be better. Really, I did. I was listening to another tech podcast this morning, and they were making a point saying it's all well and good, but it's a massive, great Belkin clamp almost now. You're expected to have hanging off the back of a state-of-the-art MacBook Pro suddenly with this very clumsy camera fitting to the top of it. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I was blown away by the fact that we can now use that camera. But um, yeah, I assume it doesn't really fit with Apple's, I mean, not as sleek in the Johnny as in the Johnny Ives days, but nonetheless, it's a very, very beautiful-looking piece of machinery they always develop. And suddenly it's had this iPhone just effectively stuck to the top. It's a little Robson Heath, I suppose, isn't it? Well, it's, it's Apple focusing on practicality unusually. It's, it's, it's a company that is now making its phones thicker and is not boasting about how, how thin mm. things are. Mm. Well, other than with the MacBook Air, of course, but that's sort of in the name. So there, there, there is an element now of Apple that is a lot more responsive, and you wonder how much that is as a result of, of Johnny Ive's exit. Now, are you a heavy iPad user or not? 
I would describe myself as uh, an optimistic iPad user. <laughs> I, I like to imagine I can use it. I, I sit down and try and use it for half an hour and then give up. But I do keep trying. So either yourself or your colleagues that are iPad heavy users, professional users, maybe got the iPad Pro, do you think they're going to be appeased in the slightest with what we... It almost seemed that most of what... Now, I'm not a heavy iPad. I've only got an iPad mini and I use it really just for content consumption. So hands up, I'm not the authority by any stretch on this or in much what I speak of, but certainly on iPads, I'm not. And I don't know if many of the features that were announced this week were just iterations from the new Mac OS Venture or almost from iOS. It didn't seem that much. I mean, when I saw about the uh, stage manager, I thought that's a fantastic feature. But of course, that was, I think it was actually highlighted first on Mac, wasn't it? On the on WWDC mm. and then yeah. shown on the iPad. So uh, have I missed anything or was there much that was brand new and specifically aimed at iPad users. I've heard so many people saying we need those perhaps it's got an M1 in it now. Why can't we be more creative and work more professionally on it? So do you think iPad users will find what was released this week beneficial at all? Yes, I think they will. I think that the the changes that they have made with iPad OS 16 are the biggest leap forward in terms of making the iPad uh, a practical and usable tool. Um, previously, you you felt like you were using an iPad. If you use a, I, I have a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, and I have tried to use it like a MacBook um, with the Magic Keyboard, and you just can't because even the the UI elements are so big that you feel like you're using a sort of children's device. But of course, one of the updates they announced is that now you can scale the display, mm-hmm. so there's you fit so much more on the screen, and it feels more like a laptop. Um, oh, so that scaling works to the iPad. It's, I understood the scaling to work to external monitors, but worked actually natively on the iPad. Yes, ah, it's so that huge great gap itself. between apps and so on. Now it looks as if it's more designed for iPad. Um, well, it's particularly within apps. So, um, for example, in, in the music app now, you see more albums, you see more text, you right. see full lines um, in, in the in the now playing view, um, and. This morning, I tried plugging my uh, iPad Pro into a Thunderbolt display and actually using it across uh, two displays. And I was very impressed because it's behaving like a MacBook. You choose the orientation of where it's sitting and you can have up to eight windows open, which is pretty incredible considering that's just coming from an iPad. It's not there 100%. I'm definitely, the thing that always makes me go back to a Mac is because I'm faster on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Use, you, flicking between things with a cursor, um, opening apps from the dock, you, you definitely save time. But in a year's time, in two years' time, um, you could probably start to convince me that an iPad could replace my MacBook. I think last year with Universal Control, and I, I use that so much now, uh, that clearly is going to be a massive bonus for iPad users, isn't it? If you're working in a Mac environment, to have that dragging files over, you know, PDFs from one desktop to the next, that clearly is going to improve the user interface for iPad users. Mm. And of course, Apple doesn't want to make the iPad into a Mac. You know, a lot of mm. people you see on Twitter, they say, you know, we want to just have Mac OS. We want to just have Windows like Mac OS. But you, you actually don't want that. And Apple doesn't want that for you either. Apple is trying to make a much more opinionated experience with the iPad that is, is something totally separate from the Mac. They want you to buy your Mac, mm. but they also, of course, want you to buy your iPad and things like universal control. Um, provide that that experience. So when they unveiled um, Stage Manager for the Mac, I think it was actually a little bit of a trick. I think that it, it's they developed that for the iPad, but they showed it to you first on the Mac so that you feel that the iPad is becoming more Mac-like. Now, mindful that I'm eating into your evening, and there's clearly going to be some Doctor Who that you want to go and watch. I promise I shan't keep you that much more, but you spoke uh, briefly early on about Apple Watch 
and you think that's all got some wiggle room to improve over years to come and that yes there was better sleep monitoring i've again do you use an apple watch yes because i'm still an old-fashioned analog man myself so i'm i'm kind of getting to the point now i was i've got all my notes here for you so hartley sell me why do i need an apple watch how's it going to improve my life well, I, I, I'm very fond of sort of analog devices, so I'm very torn. But I think that um, with an Apple Watch, if you are interested in fitness and being um, maintaining your fitness over time, and you have a concern about also just monitoring your health and having a bit of extra peace of mind, that's an extremely valuable tool. Mm. And also, if you're trying to Look at it this way. I, I think that you can imagine in some senses that using an Apple Watch is just going to add digital clutter to your life. You're getting more notifications. You're spending more time on a screen. But I actually don't think it's like that because it's a more, much more pared down experience compared to an iPhone. So if anything, it takes you away from the phone and more into something that you just glance at briefly. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I, I like. And I don't uh, use cellular with my Apple Watch at the moment, but I would consider um, setting up cellular in the future so that I can use my watch more. Independently. Not even need to take my phone with me because my phone is a is a vacuum into social media. It's sort of, you, 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 uh, you can get distracted in it for far long, mm-hmm. much more long periods of time. But with the watch, I think the watch is a little bit more of a product that complements uh, the lifestyle rather than sort of becomes a lifestyle itself. So the sleep tracking that you mentioned was also spoken quite deeply about at uh, WWDC. Am I right in thinking that you'd have to wear your watch through the night clearly for that to work? Yes. So the Apple Watch has had sleep tracking for many years now, but it's only ever basically been able to tell you how long you were asleep for the amount of time you were in bed. And even then you had to set up what time you went to bed and it had to be exactly right every night. So compared to third party apps and what, um, you know, other competing smartwatches can do, it was, it was extremely, um, uh, well, not very good. But what they've done now is they've they've really introduced proper sleep tracking. You can see different phases of sleep. You can see how long you're in different phases of sleep and the, the quality of sleep in, in a lot more detail. And yes, you do have to, to weigh your watch overnight. The, the iPhone is capable of doing some very basic sleep tracking based on when you put the device down and when you pick it up again in the morning. And third-party apps can go further than that. But with the speed that the at least the latest Apple Watches can charge at, you can get, um, I believe, eight hours of charge, uh, eight hours of use from ten hour, uh, ten minutes of charge. Charging, yeah. So at that point, um, you 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 can wear it overnight, and if you wear a comfortable band, that would be my advice. I couldn't get on with wearing my Apple Watch overnight for an extremely long time mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, the, the the sport bands they're very hard, they're they're very plasticky. Mm-hmm. But I would say get a get a soft one, get a, a nice sort of sport loop. And you just sort of forget it's there. I think you just cost me money. That wasn't the idea of this podcast. It really was. <laughs> and uh, again, listening to some other content this afternoon in preparation for speaking with you, I understand that the EU has finally laid down the directive that by 2024, is it, that all phones yes. have to be USB-C charging. How, I mean, Apple, I assume by then, will have introduced US. I say assume, actually, that's a fairly wide scope for me to have said because they've walked away from it because of their own charger, the lightning cable. Um, where, do, How do you think they're going to approach this? Will it be almost like the, the manner in which they attacked the headphone situation in France by just giving you an old pair of headphones basically taped to the box? Or do you think they will actually integrate USB-C charging into maybe the 15 next year? 
Well, previously, we understood that Apple could get around this sort of legislation by just including an adapter in the mm, box. Mm. But of course, the EU can see that. So they just, uh, they just changed the, table, the law to say it has to be on the device itself. Mm. So it's either, port, it's if very it's, it's either totally portless now, isn't it? You can get away with it clearly. Or if you've got a port on there, it has to be USB-C. Um, yes. And it also applies to a very large number of devices. It also applies to um, headphones. It, apply, it will apply to laptops. Um, it, it will apply to basically any small consumer electronics. So all the AirPod Pros, Pro Maxes, for instance, they're all going to have to change to USB-C as well. Yes, they they will have to change as well. And even uh, I expect that a lot of Apple's peripherals will, will come under that as well. And Apple will have to do it. And there is no chance that Apple will have a different um, SKU for, for Europe. It, it just mm-hmm. it won't happen. It's not practical for them to do it. And all of the US customers will then be complaining. I mean, Apple can't even justify not having USB-C on the iPhone as it stands when they have ProRes video recording on the iPhone 13 Pro, which then you have to transfer off the iPhone at USB uh, 2 speeds um, over Lightning. And Lightning is a is a 12-year-old... Uh, 10-year-old connector at this point. So it, it will happen. And my prediction is that uh, Apple will move to USB-C initially with the iPhone 15 Pro and 15 Pro Max. And then as is the case with the Pro phones and the non-Pro phones, it will trickle down the following year, conveniently just in time for the uh, the EU's deadline in late 2024. And what actually interests me is how they're going to do the other devices. Exactly. How are they going to do the magic keyboard, keyboard the magic the trackpad, mouse, the yeah. magic mouse. I've got a mouse um, in there. The you know, MagSafe. Yeah. I'm surrounded magic, by, uh, I think the three things I've got on the desk in front of me, a trackpad, magic keyboard, a magic mouse, of course, are all lightning. And the MagSafe battery and uh, wireless chargers. There's a huge number of other things, not least AirPods. And so they are kind of going to have to do it all simultaneously. But I think that will be something for 2024. I mean, the fact that the magic mouse design is as it is still 10 years later, that will be the perfect time to change. I think if they put the, the USB-C port on the underside of the same Magic Mouse design, I think people will lose their minds. And uh, looking a little later in the year to iPhone 14, you expect, I know there's talk, really the big headline news on that at the moment is the Pro and Pro Max we expected to get an always-on display. Is there any other things coming down the pipes that you've heard of? Well, one of the things I'm quite excited about is a... 48 megapixel wide camera, mm. which is a really big increase. Mm. I've really wanted Apple to boost the megapixels on the iPhone for years. Um, I think the last time they did was actually the iPhone 6S. It's been a 12 megapixel camera ever since. Then. Seems, yeah. And they're finally going to increase it all the way up to um, 48 megapixels. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I would say I'm looking forward to the uh, the replacement of the notch with a pill-shaped cutout next to a circular cutout for the camera. But I, I personally think it's quite ugly. Um, and uh, I never minded the notch as such. So I think it's actually worse uh, what they're moving to. But I like the more rounded design. The yes. display is going to have uh, a bigger corner radius. Yeah, the radius um, actually follows a corner of the, the phone now, doesn't it? The screen. Yeah, so the, yeah. the camera bump at the back, yeah. it, will, it will finally uh, match it on the, on the smaller um, model. And of course, we've heard about the always-on display, and uh, the A16 chip will also be be becoming as well. And so, interestingly, uh, something you mentioned there with Lightning Cable, there's also talk that possibly 8K might be coming to iPhone with the 14 Pros and Pro Maxes. But again, the company that they are, it's clearly not a mistake that, that they've overlooked in how to transfer those files from 
a phone. I mean, hands up for my YouTube work. I still use my iPhone 12. I use Filmic Pro as the app. So I'm recording raw files. And they're often 20 gigs that I have to get from there using image capture over to the Mac, as you said, at lightning speeds, which is a misnomer because it really isn't a lightning speed. But so <laughs> Apple, I mean, you know, if they're, they, they think of everything. So if they're even contemplating 8K being on there, how can they justify not having a means of transferring it off? Well, I, I think that's precisely the reason they will have to move to USB-C. I think it's incredibly hard for them to justify. Mm. It would be extremely easy for them to implement. But the fact is they make so much money from Lightning um, because of the, the MiFi program. I believe they get $1 minimum from every accessory that is sold, every Lightning cable. If you go and buy a Lightning cable in an Apple store that is not branded Apple, they are still making money mm -hmm, from it. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to let that go. Um, and they know that when they do, they are going to have to do it in a, in a careful way, because if they were to transition this year, my AirPods um, will still be uh, lightning. My AirPods Max will still be lightning, as will my Magic Trackpad. So they, they need to have a coordinated plan to do it. But let's face it, it is, it is really uh, ridiculous that that's still being uh, talked about at this point. And one more hardware question before we begin to wrap things up. Uh, using your crystal ball again, a large iMac something that's likely or not. I, for years, I've still got my 27-inch iMac. It, I bought it in 2015, really well spec for the graphic design work I do, and it's been a joy to use ever since. Um, but obviously now there's no direct replacement for it, unless you go Mac Studio and Studio Display, but the iMac has got a very fond place in many a person's heart. Do you hear that they're likely to replace either an iMac Pro or just a larger iMac? It's hard to say because we have different, very reliable sources saying different things. They can see this device with a, a larger 27-inch display size like the, the previous um, larger iMac. So we know something's coming, but what's not clear is if the Mac Studio with the Studio Display is the replacement for that iMac with what Apple is calling a modular design, that's what they mean in terms of having a separate display, there is no need as such for the iMac Pro in mm -hmm. the lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it would be an extra storekeeping unit that Apple just doesn't need to provide. So it may make more sense for them to just go for a more modular approach. Really, the, the iMac um, is targeted more for the standard iMac, I mean, the one that is already available, the 24-inch iMac, um, with its fun colors. It's, it's targeted more at people that just need a casual computer, education, that sort of thing. It's hard to justify the existence of an iMac Pro, mm -hmm. but it, it wants to, could still be coming. I'm skeptical given that we now have the Mac Studio. I don't quite know how it would fit into the line. Yeah, I, tend I don't to, see why it would be useful. I tend to agree with you. I think the way they established a Mac Pro, and also very cunningly, the price of the base level Mac Studio and a studio display came in at virtually dollar for dollar, pound yes. for pound, the price of a, an iMac Pro, didn't it? So it's almost, I think, the final nail in the coffin. And the last thing I just wanted to draw people's attention to is, of course, your podcast. Which yes. is where I first heard of you before reading you on Mac Rumours. So tell people about your podcast and how often you record it and where they can find it and how you go about putting that together. Well, we launched the, the Mac Rumours show. And you were integral in it, year. weren't you? You were very integral in the launch of that. Yes. So uh, it's three of us. It's with my uh, colleagues, uh, Dan Barbera and Sammy Farthy. And Mac Rumors had been entertaining doing a podcast for years. You know, Mac, Mac Rumors has been around um, literally since I was uh, just before, just uh, more or less since I was born. In fact, that's how long uh, Mac Rumors has been around, uh, and it's it's flirted with doing a podcast for years. Um, you, you there were 
you know, trial episodes done uh, a decade ago, and it never really got off the ground. But finally, um, we, we've got a, a sort of group of people together that are really enthusiastic about it, and we've got a good direction for it. Um, and we've, we've really enjoyed doing that. We've had some great guests. We've had mm-hmm. um, uh, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, who, of course, is responsible for so many of the uh, accurate leaks that, that we receive, which is I, really interesting. I read his Power newsletter every Sunday. I'm a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's very good, and he he provides so much information. It's really interesting to talk to to leakers like that, and also people that are a little bit more controversial, like um, John Prosser, who definitely ruffles some feathers in the in the rumor community. So um, yes, you can find the Mac Rumors Show if you navigate to to Mac Rumors. You'll see the little podcast icon on the top of the page. You can join it from there, or just search in the podcast app for the Mac Rumors Show. Um, we we do it roughly sort of every two weeks, sometimes a little bit more often. We've just recorded a WWDC episode. I'm looking forward to. Um, I was looking in my podcast directory today for it. Yeah, when's that coming out? Is it soon? Um, uh, probably tomorrow or the day after. Hopefully, do you edit that um, or so- do you hand that off? Uh, no, we have our uh, Dan Barbera, who does all of our, our videos, our media uh, content creation. Also, you should uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel because we've got have. great videos going out. Um, and he's, of course, diving into all the, the betas at the moment and providing a lot of really good information about that. So we're, we, we have a lot of uh, Mac Rumors content across uh, you know, different platforms now. It's really something we've, we've looked to achieve. We've got, we've, sort of Mac Rumors has always had the, the written content, um, but in recent years, we're, we're really sort of experimenting with providing that sort of, um, that sort of tone that isn't particularly opinionated um, and is more sort of factual um, mm-hmm. across a, a larger number of, of platforms. Um, it's, it's very strange for me sort of to, to talk about Matt Rumors in those terms because I was, I was a reader of Matt Rumors for so long. I was always such a sort of big fan of it. It's, it's, it's actually still very strange. Well, it's, it's a, a fantastic research. You can imagine somebody in my position, it's a fantastic research tool. It's one of the first goes to, it's on my favorites on Zafari. And I, I, you know, constantly flicking through it, getting leads, steers, stories, updates. It's always there. And to have it now as a podcast form as well. I'm a massive audio fan, as I think I mentioned to you. So to be able to take that out with me and to listen to it at any point, it's it's a very immersive podcast. And for anyone that's into this kind of Apple world, it's a great podcast to listen to. So I'll be looking forward to well, your WWDC you. special. So you just kind of throw ideas into Slack and you 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 work together on it uh, as a team and then you decide kind of on the direction the podcast is going to go and then you hit record. Well, some of them we do a little bit more planning for, especially if we have a guest or, you know, on a, on a day like today when we recorded the WWDC episode, it's been so hectic, we've barely mm. had time to plan. So it's ended up being a much more sort of laid back discussion. But, you know, we're, we're all very comfortable with each other. So it just sort of takes its, its own shape, especially where we're so immersed in this stuff all day, every day. We, we, you, could, you could stop us at any time of day and we've got plenty to say about Apple, probably, probably far too much, actually. And of which I'm very aware that it's been the end of a long day for you, just in an now I feel even more guilty. You just already spent hours recording no, a, a no, podcast special. So thank you so much indeed. And I just wanted to make people aware they could find you easiest over on Twitter. It's very easily at Hartley Charlton. A great uh, read there. And also on your website, which was uh, somewhere I was today reading all about you. So you can find out more about Hartley there. And the next podcast is coming out from Matt Rumor's show is coming out, we hope, on the point of recording this in a day or so's time. Yes. That's me taking care of them for a couple of hours. <laughs> Hartley, it's been a real pleasure, a real pleasure having you on the show and having your perspective and your insight and your journalistic background. It's lovely speaking to a journalist. Uh, I, I just feel you bring a whole new awe and, and depth and an understanding of what's going on in the world of Apple rather than 
just getting somebody that, say, is visible on YouTube. I just feel with a journalist and a journalistic background, we've just reasonably pulled back as much as we can on what you think is coming along with Apple this year. So I can only thank you. I'm really grateful for your time today. Well, thank you very much. It's it's great to speak to someone that is uh, you know reading Mac rumors on a on a daily basis and uh, really sort of in, engaged with what we do. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's uh, great to speak to you. So thank you, Hartley. Many thanks indeed. And uh, if you want to follow up more on Hartley, don't forget to check his website hartleycharlton.com, and over on Twitter, the same handle. Hartley, many thanks indeed. Thank you. Many thanks indeed to Hartley for finding the time to chat with us on Minus 16 this week of all weeks, right on the back of WWDC being one of the editors of Mac Rumours. It's clearly been a very long week, but Hartley, many thanks indeed. And yes, I would love to have you back on the show. So maybe when uh, we've got some more releases from Apple, be it the Mac Pro or the iPhone 14 later this year, we can tempt Hartley back on. If you want to find out more about Hartley, go over to his website, hartleycharton.com. And he's also on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with me in between podcast you can find me on twitter at d talking tech or you can find me over on the website as well talkingtechandaudio.com it'd be great to hear from you we'll be back in just a couple of short weeks time i hope you enjoyed this podcast take care and i'll see you in a few weeks time